Welcome to our Wednesday night video Bible study. Tonight we're doing something that I, I don't do a whole lot. I've had several questions about Gnosticism because it's a new subject for a lot of you. Because it's new and not familiar to a lot of people, we're going to see how it affects Christianity. And then the next time I get up to speak here, which will be in two weeks, uh, we'll talk about the second part of John chapter 1. If you remember, when we started off last time, there were some people out digging for manure, basically. They used it to burn for fire. They also used it to fertilize their crops. So they're digging down and they hit a tunnel. And in that tunnel, there were some writings attributed to Jesus' followers. The one that got the most press right off the bat was the Gospel of Thomas. Thomas is known as the doubter in a lot of Christian circles. After Thomas was basically thoroughly looked at, they went to the Gospel of Philip, and then the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, which became a great book, sold a lot of copies, became a movie, and it basically takes the picture that she married Jesus, that he didn't die. She married him and had a son, and there was a lineage that followed after Herod. The Gospel of the Egyptians is supposedly were Christians, and the Egyptians finally put some salve on old wounds and got together and basically conquered the world of their day. And there's one they just called the Gospel of Truth. And in the Gospel of Truth, they explain that knowledge is what makes this world go round. And if you have the right knowledge, you won't end up in a bad situation. They felt very strongly that Jesus was not a man, that he was a spirit. One of the Gnostics saying was, where Jesus walked, he never left a footprint. But John hits that right off at the beginning of 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, whether we, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus. It was a way of saying, listen guys, what you're coming out with isn't true. Gnosticism, the name really means knowledge. That's all it means. They thought that they could get to a place of knowledge where they could live lives exactly like they were supposed to. It was a superior knowledge which set up a, a competition between those who had the greater knowledge and those who had the lesser knowledge. And those who had the lesser knowledge didn't have, chance, didn't have a chance of going to heaven because it was only those with super knowledge who had any chance of salvation. 
this special knowledge of the truth was superior to faith. They thought faith was a little bit easy to have. But superior knowledge took work. Now dualism played a big part in their idea. Dualism is there's matter and there's spirit. And if you had enough knowledge, you could go back and forth between them and never sin. If you didn't have that knowledge, you were stuck in one or the other. The intellectual pride was that you can take everything that you need to know in life and make it a basic philosophy. You don't need anybody else. That puts Gnosticism on a collision course with faith. The Gnostic, the great question they asked was not the most practical on what must I do to be safe from sin. It was, I wonder where evil really comes from. It's always somewhere around material. Or how can we get this primitive universe that we have to live in, how can we get it to broaden out and instead of being matter, be a mystical place where we all dwell? The creator God who created the heavens and earth was considered an inferior God because he created matter and matter was bad. Jesus, of course, was not a true human being. And enlightenment was everything. One commentator's remark was they made it rather, they made it rather a redemption of the philosophers from matter than a redemption of mankind from sin. So you can see how opposed they were to each other. And yet John's fighting it all the way. The God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament, according to the Gnostics. If you had superior knowledge, and you had sexual relations, you kept that in a frame of mind where it was not bad. In fact, it could bring you closer to God. On the other hand, if you had enough knowledge, you declared celibacy, that you didn't have sexual relations with anybody at all, because that was considered higher. Gospels, they're not reliable according to the Gnostics. And Jesus was not God, nor did he come in the flesh. Now the biggest problem is how do you go to a heavenly existence since you must be sin free? The idea that they were spiritual beings with knowledge, what does that assure? How do you know that will get you to heaven if you just simply have a lot of knowledge? It's an age-old question that's relevant today. There are those who think that if they're smart enough and have enough knowledge, they will be the conquerors of the world. And then there's Christianity. 
And he teaches something entirely different. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his words has no place in our life. This was the, the confession verse that I was taught when I first got into Christianity. If I had sinned and said, no, I haven't sinned, I was in bad shape because they wanted me to get up and say, this is what I did and this was wrong and I need for y'all to pray for it and then I could be forgiven. You know that this is a Gnostic claim that they can be without sin. And this is a Gnostic claim that they don't have to confess, confess sins because they have not sinned. It takes on a different light. And that's important to understand. Over in Romans 3, Paul gets into what it's been like. And he comes to the conclusion in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's me. That's you. Everybody has sinned at some time in their lives. Everybody has multiple sins in their lives. And Paul wants the people, namely the Jews, who felt they were holier than other people, to admit that they weren't any holier at all. Both Jew and Gentile was guilty, were guilty of sin. So in chapter 23, he gives the way that God came about with a different way. God presented him, that's Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement. Now if you have the New American Version, it's got a, a big word there. What it means is God let Christ die on the cross that we, through faith in his blood, could have forgiveness. He did this, God, to demonstrate his justice and that he had to punish sin and his forbearance that he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate the justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ. The big word I didn't mention is a word propitiation. Propitiation means a sacrifice of atonement. And even though I can say that big word, uh, it just helps me a whole lot to get it down to a sacrifice of atonement. So what Paul has done is say, God, through Jesus, was concerned with people. Not perfect people because they had so much knowledge they didn't need him, but everyday people like you and me. And he allows Christ to die so that we can be justified before him. 
Where then is the boasting? Is it excluded on what principle? On that of the observing the law? These are the Jews. The Jews have the law. The law got them closer to God, at least in their eyes. And Paul says, what do you have to talk about? What is there that's so good about you? You've sinned. The only way we can have justification is by faith. God's the God of the Jews. He's the God of the Gentiles too. And since God is God, he will justify those circumcised by faith. Well, that's a term he'll use over and over again. The term can mean the physical circumcision of the Jewish law, or it can mean the circumcision of the heart by faith. After Jesus, it will grab just that definition, the circumcision of the heart by faith. Okay, any questions to this part? We've had a real quick review. We've talked about being guilty of sin. That means either I'm being very clear or it's, it's as cloudy as mud. One or the other. Paul gives the problem in chapter 7. And I'm going to take my time with it. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly would not. It's not. For I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. Apart from the law, sin is dead. I learned a lot about this scripture whenever I had a, a child at home that I was raising. My child was very intelligent, cutest thing on earth, but if you told her she wasn't allowed to do anything, she would find a way. I've often told her, you know, I, I'm glad I never told you to put beans up your nose because she'd have found a way to do that. Paul says that's a human tendency, not a child tendency. When you tell somebody they can't do something, they automatically want to prove you wrong. They automatically want to, to prove that they can do something. And so Paul says that's what's produced sin in us, that human nature that says, you don't want me to do it? Watch me. Once I was alive, apart from the law. But when the commandment came, spring, sin sprang to life and I died. I found the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. Paul says, when the command was there and said, I don't want you to do this, and we did it. God didn't put the command down there so that you would get, end up in that condition. It was to help you realize what condition you were already in. 
For sin-seizing opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me. And through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy. And the commandment is righteous and good. Now Paul talks about his basic lifestyle. Did that which was good then become death to me by no means? In order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good. So that the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual. So does the slave to sin. I do not understand what I am doing. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I keep on doing. Paul says, I get up in the morning and I say, Paul, you're going to get this and this and this and this done in your Christianity. And I'm not going to do this and this and this so I can live a more righteous life. Almost sounds like he's reading our mail, doesn't it? The good things that you intend to get done don't get done. And the things that you don't want to do, you end up doing. Now if I do, what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. But it's no longer I myself who live it, but sin living in me. I, do I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. I've done a, a lot of counseling over the years. And one of the hardest things to break is habit. People have a way of reacting habitually to a situation. Sometimes it's immediate anger. If you don't do it my way, and they're angry. Sometimes they just withdraw. Person's upset with them, they withdraw and hide. Sometimes they like to chew on something when they really don't know what to do when they're anxious. Sometimes when they're anxious, it's very obvious that they're anxious. Paul's saying that's the way our lives are. They're habits. They're the way we've learned to live them. And the way that we learn to live them isn't good. Paul's saying, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it. It's sin living in me that does it. So I find the law. For my inner being... I delight in God's law. I see another one at work. 
the war against my members. Here's how he sums it up. I'm a wretched man. Who can rescue me from the body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Now this is where we've got to take a little time. Because what Paul says is, when I get up in the morning, I've got a bunch of things that I want to do. God wants me to do them. I want to do them. They're on the list. I can make my list, check it twice. And then there's on this side of the list things that I did that I'm really sorry I did, and I'm not going to do them anymore. But Paul says, when I get back to going to bed and I look at the list, what I find out is I didn't do the good I wanted to do. And the bad that I did do, that I ended up doing. This is what we call the law of life. The law of life in religious terms is you can't do it by your own efforts. You can do it with all your strength and say, I am not going to sin evermore. But you will. I've decided to do all these good things, but there'll become those days that you can't, or you won't. You want to be, with all of your effort, what God wants you to be. But you'll end up failing. That's important. So God has instituted something totally different. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now let's break that down. Paul said if I make every effort, I'm still going to fail. And if I'm failed, then I'm condemned. And if I'm condemned, I'm in a heap of trouble. So God has intervened. And he has set up a system, much like the system we had, but very, very different. You start over here, it once that you've obeyed the gospel, you repented of sin, you were baptized for the remission of sins. You're still going to try, 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 try and fail. There isn't any magical power that's going to make you different. But Jesus died for our sins. So instead of going over for the guilt of sin, we stay on the safe side. Now you can try it without that help and you're going to find out that you can't do it. So 
you try the next day and you're going to give an extra effort, but you're going to fail. But Jesus died for your sins. And said instead of being guilty, you stay over here with your salvation. Now in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, he's going to be talking about you and the blood of Christ and how the blood of Christ continually cleanses you from all sin. The Gnostics would have a real rough time with this, and they did. Because what he has just said is, it's not your efforts. It's not your knowledge. It's not your capabilities. It's the fact that God provided the atonement for sin in his son who died on the cross and was raised. Okay, I've got about 10 minutes for questions. So if you all have any questions, let me know. If anybody has any, uh, I don't know whether it's Steve or Chris that'll read them out. I have no comments so far. No comments so far. So. Uh, I thought maybe you might want to address to everybody the question Henry was asking about how, how the Gnosticism is prevalent in our day. Okay. Uh, can somebody tell me what religion Tom Cruise is? Scientology. Scientology, very good. Uh, can anybody tell me what Depocatra, Depocatra does? New life. Depocatra does new life. That there's a mystical site over there that you're trying to find. He talks about how you to get there must learn to relax the body and control the body and let the body feel. If you heard of the Da Vinci Code, it comes out of the, the Gospel of Mary, Magdalene, where she supposedly married Jesus and Jesus and her had kids, three of them to be exact. If you saw the movie, the movie was well acted. It had Tom Hanks in it. It's always well acted when you have Tom Hanks in it. But it's not true. We have religions that teach that there isn't a God. There are gods. And the reason that people down here are supposed to have children is so the gods can inhabit a body and then come down here. It's a very popular religion. I have a lot of friends who are part of it, and the discussions go on forever. Well, I passed two churches on the way driving here tonight. Uh-huh. And you don't know what they believe. One of them's called the Crossroads Church. Mm -hmm. What do they believe? The other's called Community Church. What do they believe? I don't know what the Communion Church does, but the Crossroads Church, I know several people that go there, that's one on uh, Carpenter. Carpenter, yes. It's very close to the Christian church, according to the people who go there. I've never gone there. I've always been here when I'm in town. So, uh, 
but the lady who used to cut my hair went there on a regular basis. Well, it used to be a voting place, but it wasn't this year. Ah, didn't know that. Didn't know that. But there are things alive and well today that will lead you into the wrong way if you do it. There are even some of the religions out there who go back to knowledge. But you just need to gain knowledge. And if you have enough knowledge, you'll have a close relationship with God and you'll be rewarded by climbing their ladder till they become the apostle of that group. And the apostle of that group has all knowledge, all spiritual knowledge. It's alive and well and in our town. So that's why we do it. Good question, Sue. Any other questions? Have you ever seen the idea of staying saved? The idea you don't lose your salvation even though you try, you, you end up sinning, but that doesn't cause you to lose your salvation. That's because our salvation is based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It is not based on our behavior or our accomplishments. It's based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's why you have Romans 7 and 8. It's to help us get to that point where we understand it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Without it, we can't make it. So it's not who is good and who is better or this person didn't live better than that person. It's whether they have Jesus. Whether they put their faith in him and are allowing him to take their lives. Still got five minutes. No questions yet, Steve. I must have been good or y'all must have must have been a bad subject. Do not accept, I've got to say this just right, do not accept that all religions are alike. They are not. They are not even close. And understanding how Gnosticism worked its way into Christianity and changed it entirely in the second and third century. They got to the point where they were more powerful than the church and growing faster. And the Roman Empire came down on them because they didn't like some of the things they taught. But without the Roman Empire coming down on them, they might have grown faster than the church. This Sunday, in this pulpit, you will have Matt Robinson. If you haven't heard Matt deliver a sermon yet, he's exciting, he's dynamic, he does a great job. Why don't you come and be part of the church here? If you're looking for a church that is family, people who just love each other, 
and try to help each other get to heaven. This is the place. You'll find the warmth and the caring here that you don't find in every church. So come this Sunday, hear Matt, and be part of the group. We'd love to have you. And if there are no other questions, we're done for the evening. <laughs>